Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said to her, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, good morning, everybody. I thought I caught a glimpse of some, some sunshine just a minute ago, but it must have been an illusion. It, it is there. It's, it's, it's still there somewhere. Just We get stuck on this side of the clouds, I guess. Clouds are good, too. It's good to be together this morning as we come to the Word of God. We're, we're doing a little different study for a few weeks here. Um, around this question, where did Jesus come from? Some of you, the question is behind the tree, I apologize, but uh, it is there. And yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll be, we'll be looking at different scriptures this morning as we talk about this. You, you can try to turn to all of them or you don't have to turn to any of them. Normally we're in a passage and we, we work through it, but don't feel bad if I throw scriptures out. You don't have to turn to every one of them. But last week, we, we started in on this question, where did Jesus come from? If you remember, if you were here, uh, Matthew and Luke both give genealogies of Jesus's heritage, and we discovered that Jesus comes as the king of the Jews. The Jews, however, what did they do with him? They rejected him, didn't they, at that first coming? But Jesus is legitimately king. He comes from a line of kings. We found that through Joseph's line legally and through Mary's line physically, Jesus counts his descendants from the great King David. So not only did Jesus come from kings, but he came as king, didn't he? And that is according to prophecy. He came as king according to prophecy. Jesus' first coming 
was declared by the prophets long before his birth. It was fulfilled perfectly when he came as a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus came as king based upon prophecy, and he will come again a second time also based upon prophecy. We also saw that Jesus came from his mother. Maybe that's not a surprise, but Jesus was a physical descendant of his mother Mary. He was born as a human baby. We talked a little bit about Jesus as a human. We, we saw that God created Jesus' body. He was just like us in that sense. Because he was human, Jesus succumbed to death. In his case, a criminal's death. He paid the penalty as he did that, that we deserve to pay the penalty for our sin. We, we said, and I believe that it's true, without humanity... In the case of Jesus, that penalty could not have been paid. But he didn't stop there. Jesus conquered death. He rose from the dead. He remains now to this day in a body. You can say it's a reconditioned body. It's a glorified, a perfect body. And yet he remains human. The last thing we saw was that Jesus can relate to us. Because of his humanness, he experienced trial trial and temptation just like we have. And now he stands as that mediator, that high priest between us and God. So we can approach God with boldness. Well, we're not done with that question. Where did Jesus come from? Let's ask God to meet us as we dive into the other side of Jesus's heritage. So, Father, we're thankful that we can study these things. There's a lot in in your word about Jesus coming, who he was, where he came from. We're only touching on it today, but I pray, God, that it would be truth that we would see, truth that we would speak, and truth that would enter into our hearts and change us this Christmas, this Christmas season, as we think about Jesus and his first coming, and as we look forward to Jesus and his second coming. We pray in his name. Amen. So we need to look at that other side of Jesus' heritage, the paternal side, if you will, Jesus' father's side. Um, Last week, in that genealogy from Luke in chapter 3, it says, in verse 23, it says, Jesus was 30 years of age, and then it goes on, and it says, being the son, as was supposed, or as was thought, of Joseph. So where did he really come from, if it wasn't Joseph as his father? In other words, what is the spiritual lineage of Jesus? Now, you can make fun of me for my flying manger up here, but... I found it was hard to find a picture of the Holy Spirit, so uh, that's, that's my, that'll help you think anyway, right? You can go ahead, make fun of me later, but um, this is the spiritual lineage of Jesus, okay? Um, now, you and I have two sides, a physical mother and a physical father, two sides to our lineage, but that was not the case with Jesus, was it? We, we don't have genealogy revealing his spiritual heritage, but let's look at today what was his spiritual DNA, if you will, on his father's side. Where did he come from through his father's side, his heavenly father? 
Fairly recently, a 66-year-old man by the name of Jay Spites took an ancestry DNA test to learn about his heritage. Some of you have done that. Like many African Americans, Spites didn't know much about where his ancestors came from in the centuries past. After getting his initial results back, he learned that he had a distant cousin from Benin. I think that's how you say that. It's a small country in Africa. So he put his data into a second ancestry database, and it alerted him that he had royal DNA. Sometime later, a contingent from Benin visited Spites here in the United States, and he was finally connected to his long-lost family. Well, eventually, Spites contacted the king of Benin, and he learned that he was a descendant of King Deca, the ninth king of Alada, that, a, a place in Benin, who had ruled in the mid-1700s. Spites newfound family had no explanation for why his ancestors ended up slaves in America. Spites traveled to Benin for the first time fairly recently, and after receiving, after receiving an invitation from his royal relatives... He flew in and he was met at the airport with dancing and music. He was later enthroned by the king as a prince who gave him crowns and white lace robes. You see him here um, kind of signaling his, his vocation as a priest here in the States. He was also given a new name, Vidicon Deca, which means the child came back. Spites plans to return every year to Benin with his family and be with his royal relatives He's now back in the U.S. where no one really treats him like royalty. But let's look at the DNA, if you will, the paternal family line of Jesus. I want to explore a few factors. We are not going to touch on everything the Bible speaks to us about or things we know about Jesus, but a few factors concerning his spiritual heritage. So first of all, as a baseline, Jesus was conceived from the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. We call it, in, in connection with that, we, we call it the virgin birth. Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. Now, the scripture makes this quite clear. For example, Matthew 1.18 says, this is right after that genealogy we looked at last week, says that Mary and Joseph, uh, before they were married, before they came together in sexual union as husband and wife, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now this was spoken of prophetically by Isaiah in, seven, in chapter 7, verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Now in Hebrew there, Isaiah's word virgin could simply be used for a young woman, wouldn't have to be a virgin, but we know that Mary was not only a young woman, but was indeed a virgin. Luke confirms that um, as he says something similar as we saw there in Matthew, Luke one thirty-five. Mary asks the angel after the angel comes and says, this is going to happen to you, Mary, and she says, how will I be pregnant? I've never been with a man. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born from you will be called the Holy, or will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus came from God. That's pretty safe to say. He was born of a virgin, conceived in her by the Holy Spirit Himself. 
Where did Jesus come from? Is what we're, we're working on here. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. For us, conception is our beginning. As humans, uh, our soul and our body, at least the way I think about it, is created at that moment. God creates that. But was this Jesus' beginning? You've probably heard this passage this Christmas season right here already. Micah 5, verse 2 says, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. Now listen to this. His origins are from antiquity, from ancient times. That word antiquity there is talking about long ago, time gone by, or even it can mean something along the lines of pertaining to an unlimited duration of time. Of course, the prophet's talking about Jesus here. Have you, have you ever heard a little kid, or I don't know, maybe you've done, at, done it in your, in your mind, but a so little kid looks up at an old man or an old gray-haired woman and says, Wow, they're ancient. Well, they're just speaking their mind right now. They might be old, sure, but they're not ancient. Jesus, however, in the sense that we're talking about, is ancient. At one point in his life on earth, some questioning people asked Jesus if he was greater than their father Abraham. Remember, Jesus came from Abraham along with the rest of them, their father. This is John eight fifty eight that this takes place. Jesus' reply to those folks who asked him this was, Truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. You've heard that, haven't you? Jesus claimed to be present even before the existence of Abraham, which was thousands of years prior to him. But, oh, I don't need to tell you this, do I? Because you all just memorized John 1.1. 1, 1. Can you say it with me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus Christ. And when was the beginning? Well, that's a good question. But was Jesus really, really, really old? Is that what we're looking at? You're right. It's important for us to recognize that Jesus didn't just come into being several thousand years back or even several million years back, nor did he start his existence at conception in Mary's womb. Rather, the Bible teaches us, and this is something we need to look into, into a lot deeper later. You, you can study it. Jesus has always been, and he always will be. That is, he is eternal when Jesus spoke to the people there in John 8, 58, after they asked him about Abraham, the tense of the verb that he used is not to emphasize that he existed before Abraham. Rather, he is saying, he's communicating in those words, I am, simply that he exists. In other words, I am, I have always been. He is continually existing. Habakkuk 1.12, it's something like this. When Habakkuk is speaking of the Lord and he says, Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? Jesus then is from antiquity in the sense that he is eternal. 
He has always existed and he will always exist. You can try to wrap your mind around that. I try, but I haven't quite got there yet. Now we're exploring Jesus' heritage. That is, Jesus, who are your relatives on your father's side? Where did you come from, Jesus, spiritually speaking? We saw here, we're looking at the fact that Jesus came from God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit himself. And Jesus came from old, from ancient days, but not just from a long time ago. He is eternal. He's everlasting. Now, as we narrow down where Jesus came from, we begin to, it leads us to the very identity of who Jesus is. And that's important for us to look at. I want to look at some of the pieces of who Jesus is as we answer this question. Now, last week we we noted that Jesus was created in the sense that God created his body, his humanity. Well, we just found out that he, as a person, is not created. If you go a few verses farther in John chapter 1 to verse 3, still talking about Jesus, it says, All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Well, it might be a bit of a tongue twister, but it's very definitive. Colossians 1 speaks further about this. In verse 16, it says, For everything was created by him, that's Jesus again, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. It goes further in verse 17, this is Colossians 1, He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Well, look at that passage later, but it's quite clear that Jesus is the creator of everything. But not only is he the creator, but he is the sustainer as well. Now, so what does that mean? Here we have Jesus lying in a manger. He's in a human body. He's not only in a human body, he's in a helpless body of an infant. The creator of all things. And in addition, at least how I think about it, he's laying there in a manger in a human infant body and he's at that moment somehow the sustainer of all things. Well, you can work on that. Maybe there's things to be thought of there that we won't bring up this morning, but this is Jesus. This is the identity of Jesus, the Christ. There's a lot of ramifications to the creator Jesus and the sustainer Jesus. And yet, definitely, he came to earth, didn't he? Out of love out of care for us as the greatest gift ever given, even as creator. Jesus did many things while he was on the earth. Many things that are not common to humanity. For example, Jesus was a miracle worker. There are others who have performed miracles by spiritual power right while on the earth, but Jesus performed many and varied miracles. You can, name, you can name a lot of those right now, can't you? He calmed a storm. He healed the cripple, many cripples. He, he gave blind eyes sight. He even raised the dead. There are a lot of others. But these things lead, they, they lend to that evidence that he was more than just a common man. Listen to what Psalm 146 verse 8 says. It says the Lord, and that word is Yahweh, that is God, God of the, of the Hebrews. God opens the eyes of the blind. 
Well, Jesus here is opening the eyes of the blind. In one of the instances where Jesus performs a miracle of healing, it's in John chapter 9, Jesus gave sight to a man that had been born blind. He had never seen a thing in his life. Later, the man found him after receiving sight, and when he learned it was Jesus who had healed him, it's in John 9, verse 38, it tells us there that he believed in him, and then he worshipped him. He worshipped him. Now, according to God, we should not worship anyone but God alone. But Jesus didn't stop this man from worshipping him. There are other scriptures pertaining to that idea of Jesus getting worship and accepting worship. Not stopping them, but uh, even while in a human body on the earth, Jesus is accepting worship. Well, we're looking at where Jesus came from, who he is. Jesus didn't stop at healing, cleansing the lepers, giving sight when he was walking the earth in a human body. In Mark chapter 2, a man was paralyzed. You remember this story? Very unique story. He was brought to Jesus to be healed. He was lowered down. They took a, dug a hole in the roof and lowered him down right in front of Jesus, the healer, so the man could find healing. He could walk again. But before any healing took place, Jesus noticed the man's faith. One wonders how he did that. And he said to him, he's lying there on his mat. He said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Isaiah 43 says about God. Actually, it's God speaking about himself there in verse 25. He says, I am the one. I sweep away your transgressions from, for my own sake and remember your sins no more. God is the one that forgives sins. And yet without apology, without hesitation, Jesus forgave someone of their sin. This wasn't the only time. Beyond forgiving others of their sin, think about who Jesus was and is. You know a lot of these things. This is good, good reminders for some of us. When the angel Gabriel responded to Mary in Luke chapter 1, remember that? We talked about that a second ago. The angel gives a little definition of who Jesus was going to be. And he describes him here as the Holy One to be born. The Holy One to be born. He will be the Son of God. Holy is set apart, set apart. Maybe you've read Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9, where it says, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure and I am cleansed? I am free from sin. Well, rhetorically, not a one of us can say that. But I think Jesus could say that. The author of Hebrews describes Jesus as one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet, what is it? Was without sin. Jesus was without sin. Well, there's a lot of questions. Maybe they pop into your mind. Wasn't Jesus a a physical descendant of his mother Mary? Didn't the sin nature, that curse from Adam that we all deal with, didn't that pass to Jesus? For that matter, was Jesus capable of sin or did he just not sin? Well, those are really good questions and I'm glad you asked them. But... um, I'm really, we're not going to dig into those right now. 
There's a lot of other questions, though. These serve, those, those couple questions serve as reminders to us that we're just scratching the surface here as we dis- just look at that Christology, that discussion of who Jesus is. There's so many important, so many interesting and wonderful details, ins and outs and aspects of the theology of Christ. Who Jesus is and where he came from. So, continue your research, studying, discussing, talking together, learn about these things. A couple more for us to look at today. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he had attributes. He had qualities about his person that no other human possesses or will possess. For example, Jesus was omniscient. That means he knew everything, right? That means he had all knowledge. And even even as a human, he possessed the ability to know all things. We find this, for example, one example of this is in John chapter 2. Jesus, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, this is what it says there in John 2, verse 23. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. They believed because he was doing these miraculous signs. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. I think the wording there and in other places in the scripture, it reveals to us that no one else, not even God the Father or God the Holy Spirit, had to reveal to him what was in the heart of man. He knew himself. There are a lot of other attributes, attributes that are not common to humanity, but are found in Jesus, even while he was in a human body on the earth, walking the earth. Now, Consider all these points. Consider all these points that we've been looking at. What does this lead you to believe about Jesus? Yes, he was human. He physically descended from Mary. He came from the line of kings, but he was more than just human. You know, over the years, there's been lots of people, believe it or not, And you know it, you've heard it, but people who claim to be God. Maybe they claim to be God's son or Jesus returned, reincarnated, resurrected. Some of them claim immortality. That didn't work out too well for them, by the way. Some claim direct communication with God and and others were supposed to have special revelations. Some uttered bizarre prophecies. Maybe they're not really prophecies because they didn't come to come to be you can define that how you will one person recently and and i do mean fairly recently claimed i am the modern day jesus christ that you have all been waiting for one even claimed to be the christ and the antichrist in the same person so i'm glad you're laughing that's a good that's good it's, it's nothing but pure heresy, is it? We, we should watch out for these things. None of us are God in any way. But what did Jesus claim? What did Jesus claim? Among other places, you've heard me say the, the Gospel of John several times already, but 
It's really full of Jesus' words concerning himself as the Son of God, the Son of God. For example, John 5, 24 and 25, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. So there he's claiming, salva- claiming to give salvation. Jesus goes on, Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's just one instance of Jesus claiming, calling himself the Son of God. Right nearby, John 5, 17 and 18, Jesus responded to them. Here he's saying again, my father is still working and I am also working. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father making himself equal to God. Well, we talk about being children of God. We talk about being part of his family, sons and daughters, and that's okay, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. There's a little different usage of the word. When he claimed to be son of God, he claimed to be God. That's why the Jews wanted to kill him. After Jesus claimed, remember, I am in the days of Abraham. You know what the Jews did? They picked up stones to kill him. They knew exactly what he was claiming. He wasn't claiming prophetic status. He was claiming Godhood. So either Jesus was blaspheming as a liar. He was blaspheming as a lunatic. And he deserved stoning. Or he was telling the truth. Those are C.S. Lewis's three things, by the way, not mine. If you hear of anyone claiming to be God, by the way, pick up some stones and get, well, okay, don't quite go that far, but steer clear of them. This is serious stuff. Jesus, though, was claiming to be the Son of God, and in that statement, he was claiming to be God. The scripture is full of that. These are just a couple examples I've given you. But everything we've been looking at so far We haven't necessarily said it explicitly, but you know where we're, where we're headed, don't you? You know where this is all leading. From his virgin birth, the Holy Spirit's conception, his eternal nature, his works as creator and sustainer, his attributes, his sinlessness, his ability to forgive sins, his acceptance of worship, and there's much more. All of these things teach us. They reveal to us. They should convince us that Jesus is from God, his spiritual heritage is from God, but we don't stop, we can't stop there. They teach us that Jesus came as, what did he come as? Jesus came as God. Jesus is God. So where did Jesus come from? He came from God, but he also came as God. If you think about it, here we have a being that is like no other. Jesus was and is both human and God, right? But as we study the scripture, I think it's appropriate to conclude that Jesus didn't lose any of his godness, if you will, his deity when he came to earth. 
Instead, in humility, he took on another form. He took on that second form of humanity. We looked at that a little bit in Philippians chapter 2. I don't know if you were here earlier in the year when we were discussing Philippians. Jesus humbled himself to the point of taking on humanity, but he remains 100% deity. You can't see that very good, can you? There's supposed to be two circles there. They, They blanched out, but two circles that coincide, and in the middle is Jesus Christ. You have deity and you have humanity he is 100 percent both hebrews 1 3 says pretty clearly that says jesus is god as it says this the sun is the radiance of god's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word that's hebrews 1 3 the the theologian wayne grudem says the union of humanity with deity. The union of humanity with deity is by far the most amazing miracle we have in the Bible. It's more amazing, he says, than the resurrection. It's more amazing than creation itself. God would and did become man, even while being infinite God. He joined himself to finite man. It's really a fantastic miracle, and there's a lot to learn on this. So don't be afraid to study and find out more. And we should remember, to a certain extent, this God-man, this hypostatic union, it remains a mystery. So why is this all important? What does it matter? Well, sometimes we don't see how how they come filtering down to our daily life. But all these truths that we looked at, specifically today, the theology concerning Jesus himself, these truths necessarily, and we should say thank you, God, gratefully, these things affect all of our existence. They affect everything that we know and live in in the world. They bring us hope in our case. As Christians, they bring us hope, saving us from death. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, my hope is that you will search him out, that you will find him. You know, it has to be more than just believing that God exists out there, that God is real. That's a good start. But what will you do with Jesus? I can't help thinking, what if, what, if I, what if you were standing in the crowd when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am? What would have been your thoughts? And would you have reached down to pick up stones to stone him? Well, we weren't there, but now is your chance. What will you do now? As believers, most of us here are Christians we know we, we have done something with Jesus, but I hope that these truths will hit you again. Of course, it's at the very roots of our salvation, the thing that defines us as Christians. It's the very, as Christians, it's that very foundation of our life and our hope in God, these truths, these, this theology. I believe Jesus had to be 100% man, but he also had to be 100% God 
in order for his death and resurrection to be efficacious, that is, for it to work, for us to be saved. Deity had to be combined with humanity. If we're to truly find life, eternal life, that life that we were meant for, that we were designed for, we have to come through Jesus, the God-man. Now, there's so much more to this. There's mystery, there's detail. But on the other hand, Jesus made a pretty simple statement in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. Jesus is the way, 100% God, 100% man. As the perfect God-man, he's the only way. So, Christian, what is your perception of Jesus? Has it changed today a little bit? What can you further work on? We found that Jesus came from God. We found that he came as God. We're reminded of that. Now, did we answer the question, where did Jesus come from? Well, you can... I'll let, I'll let you be the judge, but I hope the answer is no in some sense. We need to still work on it. Who is Jesus? That question is something that needs to impact our life further. And by the way, it's not removed from us. It's not a simply an academic pursuit. Why? Because he came looking for us. He wanted each one of us. I think we're created for him. So what am I going to do about it? Maybe I need to ask some questions of myself. For one, am I thankful? Am I truly thankful? Is Jesus the authority for my priorities and my decisions? Am I truly content with him as Lord? Am I really satisfied to trust him with my life and with my future? Or is it one of those many side points that are alongside of other things in my life? Jesus came for me. So do I delight in seeking him and in worshiping him and taking joy in Jesus and serving him with the days that he's given me? Well, just one more reminder. We've scratched the surface only here. Keep thinking, keep digging, keep learning. Who is Jesus? And don't forget, let him continually change your life. Let's pray as the music team comes up for a final song. Lord God, I'm just thankful that even though we don't understand entirely who you are and, and how and where you came from, we sure have a lot of good information. And we trust you, God, that you came because you loved us enough, which is a remarkable fact. You came because you gave so much up. You came, you, you, you accepted a human form. You died. You gave yourself so that we could have life with you. I pray, God, that we would let that sink into our heart, that we'd be thankful as Christians and that we would pursue and seek you in, in a fresh new way in some area of our life. Thank you that you are trustworthy. Let us trust you. And I'm very grateful that you came as an infant in a manger many years ago. And let us this week as we 
lead up to Christmas Day. Remember these things. Let us ponder them and, and rejoice in them, if you would. And we pray it in Jesus' name.